That's right, welcome to the Loosely Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Loosely. Welcome to episode three, and I'm gonna start this episode how I started the last one, by just thanking you for your support. If you're listening to this, thank you so much. For everyone that liked the Facebook page, thank you, and for subscribing on your favorite platforms. Now, if you haven't liked the Facebook page, I'll give you a good reason to do so. We're building a good community over there. Everyone's friendly, but also, Every Wednesday now, I'm going to put up a picture of my next guest. So the podcasts go live Friday morning. Uh, That's British Mean Time, roughly about 10 a.m. Friday morning. And yeah, every Wednesday, I'm going to put up the guest that will be up on Friday. So why not head over there, like the Facebook page? I will really appreciate that. And subscribe on your favorite platform. Enough housekeeping. Let's get on to this week's episode. And this one is another special one for me. I mentioned episode one that you know, podcasting as a sort of place to my heart. It got me uh, fit really when I was running and gave me something to listen to. Well, when I discovered this gentleman's podcast, uh, I was lost in his podcast for months and months because he's been doing it for a very, very long time. You're going to discover the man behind the podcast. Now, I thought it'd be great to actually turn the tables and interview him. He's the one that normally does all the interviewing and I thought it'd be great to learn about him. The gentleman I'm talking about is Scott Wells. He is a very accomplished magician uh, behind the scenes of the podcast and this is a great interview. So grab yourself a drink, get comfy and listen to Loosely Speaking with Scott Wells. Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you very much, Dave, for uh, having me. It's good to be had. Well, you know, you know this, I've said this to you, and I think I probably just said it in the introduction. Uh, your podcasts are something that I listen to on a weekly basis, uh, and we'll get on to the whole uh, podcast thing a little bit later on. Uh, but I, well, I listen to you every single week, and you're always talking to your guests, so I don't get to learn about you. I just thought it'd be brilliant to kind of switch the seats for once and, and hear <laughs> about you and your background and how you got started and how you got to where you are today. Well, first of all, thank you very much, David, uh, that I'm uh, flattered by you being a uh, regular listener. I know that people tune in and out from time to time. And there might be someone who is of interest that they would like to listen to, uh, others they may not know. And so it's like, I don't know this person, so I'm going to not listen this week because there is so much content that's out there and available in podcast land. But uh, for those who do listen, like you, get an opportunity then to meet new friends because some of the people that I speak to may be more underground or lesser known than some of the luminaries of our magic celebrity status society i guess uh so uh, yeah i'm glad that you uh, listen and thank you for uh, uh wanting to find out about the uh, man behind the microphone here no absolutely and what you just said is completely right you know you opened up a lot of uh, magicians that i'd never heard of and then i researched them and go wow okay this guy's doing amazing things so um i, I think podcasts are amazing and what you're doing is great and we will get onto that later because i want to try and do this in a time stamp if i can sure um because i want to take this back because i'm genuinely asking these uh, uh from my questions not just things i've kind of written down or read um this is for me so how, how did you, i know it's a general question how did you get started but where did it start for you was it, was it a young age did you have jobs before you got into magic and how did you sort of get into magic uh 
Interesting question. Uh, yeah, as far as getting started into magic, I would say it's kind of like most people. That is, uh, started whenever I was quite young, an adolescent, probably about eight years old, and my parents had uh, had gone away for the weekend. When they came back, they brought me this magic set from the city. There was I lived in a small rural community, and there was a, a, a magic shop, again, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, where they went, and they brought this back to me. And so I started doing this for the kids in the neighborhood and charge them a nickel a piece and you know i'd practice all the tricks that were in this uh little sneaky pete's uh, magic kit thing well i never thought at the time about uh, too young to go to the library and thinking about uh, where i could go from there and never really thought much more about it other than hey this was kind of fun and i got you know a few nickels from the kids from watching my show because i charged them even back then to watch the show <laughs> kind of forgot completely about that again i was about eight years old so it wasn't until i was probably about 24 or so and i was working with the boy scouts uh, as a scout master and i had uh, some uh, uh another uh, scout master had taught me some rope tricks uh at one of the camperies where we were attending with the kids and so uh that kind of rekindled an interest that was kind of cool and so each week at the patrol meetings i would do a uh, a rope trick because you always have a hank of rope handy and i say hank because i used to call it henry but i got more familiar and i call him hank so i started <laughs> using the uh this hank of rope because uh, i found that i could control the kids and they would quiet and listen to what i was doing and then i'd say okay let's break up into your patrol meetings and i realized what a strong tool that was well i was then uh transferred uh, to uh, oklahoma and i went by a magic shop i was going working at graduate going to graduate school at the time uh and when working during the day and uh, in between uh, work and school that I stopped by a magic shop to buy a book on rope tricks and the local guy there at the magic shop in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, his name was Pete Peterson and Pete had shown me uh, some other kinds of things with sponge balls. I'd never seen some of this stuff, you know, and cards and whatnot. Right. And so uh, before long that uh, I had purchased a few more things and then my wife actually bought me a set of linking rings with the, uh, and, and along with uh, uh, Divern and Symphony of the Rings uh, which I had mastered. And then she, you know, she wrote on there saying, you know, this is my gift to you, but also that you have to promise to stop doing this when I tell you to. So, <laughs> so, so uh, anyhow, I, <laughs> fortunately, she never asked me to stop. Uh, so uh, I ended up um, sometimes on the weekends at the magic shop actually demonstrating them because that no one else really did the linking rings or did that Vernon's uh, routine the way that I did. One thing led to another, and I went to a magic uh, class was being taught at a local gym junior college uh, on the weeknights uh, by Sandy Rhodes, a friend of mine. Uh, and then um, I started doing some uh, uh, birthday parties. I started doing some uh, performed in shopping malls uh, there in Oklahoma. And the first uh, show that I got paid for a birthday party, I want to say it was like $12. And it was the reason I had charged, or maybe it's, yeah, I think it was $12 because it was, uh, that was the cost of the uh, ta uh, Tarbell number one book because that had the lessons that I needed to learn. And so I learned things from number one. And then the next book, number two, cost $15. And so I would charge 15 for the next birthday party. And then that's what, <laughs> you know, uh, two through six 
uh, cost. And then the uh, uh, issue or uh, volume number seven, I believe, was like 20 bucks. And so I thought, okay, I've graduated to the point where I can charge 20 bucks for a show. Then now, <laughs> so right. I got 20 bucks. So I had a complete set then of uh, uh, the books. And then that was uh, the basis of my knowledge. And one thing kind of led to another. And then moved from there to uh, West Texas, to Midland, Texas. And I started teaching a local uh, class at the local uh, junior colleges there in magic. And I did that for about three years. And it was, uh, it was a big fish in a small pond between the two cities. There was a combined population of about 200,000 people. And during that time, I, uh, three years, I had about 1% or 2,000 people who had actually come through my class at one point or another. So I was, uh, again, a big fish in a small pond. I was on television frequently on Good Morning West Texas and on the newspaper and things like that. And it was kind of funny that a couple weeks had gone by. And I remember my younger son at the time had said, well, you know, Dad, is there something wrong with your job? And I said, no, why? And he said, well, I haven't seen you on television or any place, he said, for a couple weeks. And so he thought that was kind of <laughs> what my job was, is being this celebrity kind of a, a person. It's kind of funny. Um, but... Um, uh, back then, also, that uh, uh, George Bush, that's G.W. Bush, was um, uh, in our, our church. And also, one year, we had uh, the uh, uh, United Way campaign was, thanks to you, it works like magic. And so I was the theme master, being magic or a magician. And he was the uh, person who was uh, the chairman of the uh, United Way that year. So he used to come over to the house, and uh, we would rehearse. And I did, uh, you know, pull the shirt off his back, cut and restored his tie, and uh, each week we would at the reporting meetings do different things, you know, and so, uh, uh, you know, made him use a, a super X, make him, you know, float and uh, different kinds of things. So we got to be uh, very good friends. It was kind of funny when he, you know, went on then to become the uh, governor of Texas. And then finally the, the president It's kind of like, you know, my wife, Kathy, and I said, that's just George, you know, it's just <laughs> so strange. He's like, yeah. we just had dinner with him and Laura the other night, you know, <laughs> so kind of weird. But uh, so anyhow, I, yeah, that's kind of my beginnings yeah. in history. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's amazing in itself. And uh, I, I was having a little read at some of the, I took a look at the website and some of the accolades you got there were pretty impressive as well. So from this point, it was that kind of like, now I'm going to do this as full time. Uh, I mean, you've got you, you've won the, the Houston uh, Magician of the Year four times. You're the Super Bowl live event magician. Um, you know, you perform at Magic Castle. So this is something that, that then became your life and, and your job. Yes. Yeah, that was something uh, then, Dave, for uh, a long time, and I mean for like 20 years or so, that I was saying, well, when I turn 55, I want to retire, go work cruise ships. That was it. You uh-huh. know, I mean, that uh, I have always uh, told people that the uh, that you need to uh, have a plan, uh, you know, um, plan your work and work your plan. And if you don't know where you're going, then any direction is fine, as, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis had said in Alice in Wonderland. So it's important mm-hmm. that you know where you're going to be going. Because, uh, you know, if you're working in a restaurant uh, that uh, in five years from now you're still in the same restaurant or you work in the streets and five years from now you're still in the streets, that's fine. But if you that's not where you wanted to go, then then you need to readjust your your goals and have a one year, three, five and 10 year goal as to what you want to do and where you want to be. I remember, for an example, that uh, Charles Green, the third was here in Houston. We're very good friends. And uh, many years ago that he was working restaurants. At one point he was working, I think, 11 restaurants a week or different restaurants uh, and uh, in country clubs and things like that. Uh, But his long term goal was to work uh, and doing 
trade shows. And so he did transition from the restaurants to the trade shows because he was working with corporate clients uh, who would see him. And he was saying, no, I don't do birthday parties. I only, you know, work for executives and, uh, you know, cocktail parties and trade shows. And one thing led to another. And that's where he transitioned. The point is he had a goal and he got had met that goal. Uh, yeah. But uh, if you don't have a goal, then, you know, uh, then that's fine. Well, mine was eventually to work cruise ships. So fine. Uh, 55 came and I had uh, uh, in preparation for that, you know, went out and within uh, within three weeks I had uh, to see I had six trade shows and four cruise ships booked. Um, you know, within those three weeks, cause I knew what to do, where to go, who to talk to. And I had a show because during my preparation time, uh, leading up to that, whenever that I was in the, uh, uh corporate world and working that I took time to, when I was attending conventions, uh, or I take my weekends or my holidays, uh, holidays, a lot of times I would take, just say, okay, well, I'm going to go, uh, perform in this show, uh, this trade show in Calgary, Canada or someplace, you know, and take off a few days. Uh, but I would attend a lot of conventions. I, uh, I had a lot of lectures. I was very fortunate then, of course, living in Houston, where we had the Magic Island that was here that opened up back in 1983. And mm -hmm. I was one of the um, close-up performers uh, there. Uh, it was a regular uh, show, I mean, uh, performer, uh, house magician, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so performed there uh, every night. Uh, and then also performed on stage, which was an advantage that I would be able to do two, three to six shows on the weekends uh, a night um, at the Magic Island, uh, doing a stage show to an audience of about 160 people. So you really get to finally hone your your routines and then the overall act, and then you can have an A, B, and a C act. And so I, I was fortunate having a place to to work out uh, things. I had a place to be bad, to become good uh, and over and over. <clears throat> and same thing then, I had uh, some restaurants, you know, where I had uh, worked when I was in Omaha uh, and worked at uh, uh, a restaurant. It's kind of funny, whenever I moved from Midland to Omaha, Nebraska, uh, a buddy of mine, Pat Hazel, was uh, working. Uh, Pat, uh, it was kind of funny because uh, I called to say, hey, I got some good news. And he said, so do I. And he said, you tell me yours first. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm moving to Omaha. And he said, great. And he said, I said, what's your news? He said, well, I'm moving to L.A. Well, darn. So I thought we were going to get to spend more time together. But once I got there, then he introduced me then to the uh, owner of the restaurant. So I took over his restaurant gig and started performing there. Uh, he went on to L.A. and, of course, went on to uh, be one of the uh, – writers for Seinfeld and other sitcoms and things and became a successful magician or uh, uh, entertainer mm -hmm. and, and, and a comedian. But anyhow, he uh, and I, you know, had uh, maintained that good relationship, but I was able to do some magic, you know, back then doing restaurants, you know, once a week, came back then when I moved to Houston, then I uh, had uh, more um, uh, some restaurants were that I worked in addition to the uh, the Magic Island then as well. So the point is I was working a lot and I had this uh, long-term goal. Well, once we started, I started doing cruise ships, I had taken my wife with me and she was a dental hygienist and said, basically, this is not my dream, this is yours. And she said, I didn't think you were serious. <laughs> I said, I've been saying this for 25 years, you know, <laughs> going to go on a cruise ship. She said, okay, well, fine, why don't you go do that? And I said, well, I don't want to be out for six or eight or 12 weeks, you know, and then come back and see you, you know, occasionally. And she said, well, you know, do what you want to do. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to more redirect towards uh, trade shows. So this way that I could be gone for just three to four or five days a week uh, to go do a show uh, and come back, which was not much different than what I had been doing and traveling uh, with my other uh, regular corporate line yeah. of business. Uh, in sales. So anyhow, um, 
that's that's kind of what I uh, settled on, and then plus uh, doing more cocktail parties and work into Magic Island uh, like that. And so then, uh, in fact, the Magic Island closed here in Houston back in uh, 2008, I believe it was. Yeah, 2008. Um, are you working on reopening it? And we are. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. Um, actually, Kathy and I were the last act. We were working on a two-person mind reading act, which I wanted to take on a cruise. Uh, and uh, when they called us on a Friday and said, hey, there's a hurricane coming through, we're going to close tonight. And long story short, they never reopened uh, after that because of some uh, damage uh, that was due to some water that drained in started to fire the fire department came in and the high pressure hose did more damage than what the hurricane had done oh, so uh and they didn't have the insurance apparently to uh, get it all back repaired and so the owner was in no hurry to get things back put back together well 10 years later uh in 2018 that uh i had gotten a call uh coincidentally enough just uh within 48 hours after my wife had passed she had uh, a brain tumor and had passed back in uh, 2018 and in early may and and may the second well may the fourth i got an email a call and uh, from the television station saying hey that uh we want to know if we could use uh, a youtube video uh, on the you know parts of this uh, that you have posted for our news tonight about the magic island uh, long story short, they're going to be reopening. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, would you mind coming down even and doing a short piece? And I said, okay. Well, I went down and there was a lady who was the treasurer and secretary then uh, for working the Magic Island and who remembered me and, and uh, kind of uh, rekindled that uh, that friendship. And she said, hey, we're looking for then uh, you'd, you'd be great as a, a general manager. I'm sorry, uh, as the entertainment director uh, when we reopen. I said, I'd love to do that. So I came in, talked to the owner. They said, yep, definitely want you. Uh, so that uh, put you, you know, get, had my cards made up and email and all that kind of stuff and they started uh, remodeling and they were supposed to be open then by you know that's what i was thinking is you know, my, my wife hadn't been gone 48 hours and she and god have already got a plan for me to stay here and do something you know yeah. that, that i was passionate about uh but then uh they after about two or three months later uh after all they'd put a couple million dollars into uh remodeling of this uh, the city came in and said hey you don't have any permits you can't go forward and continue and complete the plan uh, until we get the architectural plans filed and submit, I mean, submitted and approved. So uh, that put a hold on it, and uh, that was two years ago, and here we are, 2020, and still uh, closed and with no immediate plans for this to uh, to reopen. Uh, the owner is um, uh, does not have this as one of his priorities. He has uh, other investments, and this is not one that I think he believes is, uh, uh, is going to be a, a big profit center for him. It's really more of a passion project, and it is a, uh, you know, a, a profit thing that he's looking for to, uh, to reopen. Long story about all of that, but uh, that's, that's basically the, the status of where we are now. Yeah. Well, a, a couple of things just off the back of what you were saying there. The first one about having a plan. I mean, I, I think that's super important. And uh, I think it's in the current state that we're in at the moment, it's opened magicians eyes. You know, if you look at listening to this at a later date, I'm talking about the coronavirus and obviously um, your magicians are now out of work. So if you had something in plan to, uh, you know, be ready for this sort of situation, I think it's going to open a lot of magicians eyes to uh, prepare and put a plan in place, you know. Um, so I, I think, yeah, that's some great advice. And obviously with the Magic Island, now is not the best time to open a business as well. You know, it's all it. We were saying earlier, we don't really know where this is going to head, but um, 
it's a bit crazy, isn't it? Well, that's very true. You know, along that similar line, uh, some years ago, the buddy of mine, David Hira, was trying to put together a, uh, a restaurant kind of, it was called Hoodwinkers. That was the plan or what this was going to be called. It was a bar to look uh, kind of like Tom Foolery's, which was Tom Mullick's place in Atlanta. Right. Um, and uh, um, <clears throat> he was getting investors. Everything was coming together. And uh and this was just before 9-11. Uh, and uh, if, if they would have opened and gotten to that point, it would have it would have uh, died before it uh, became a success, obviously, because that no one was going out. Entertainment was dead. Everything was just it was a bad time for a lot of things and a lot of people, obviously. And uh, things have, have changed forever. And I think after you know this whole pandemic, things will have changed forever here. You know, just like now that we can never again go to an airport without going through security, you know, kind of a thing. Well, that was nothing like that prior to 9-11. Likewise, there may be something in the future. Who knows what all this is going to, where we're going to end up, you know, uh, this time next year, which what will be considered normal, you know, basically. But uh, uh, yeah, things, uh, things certainly change, but, you know, back uh, to your point, as far as making plans and everything, I was working on a book, um, which I probably have time to complete now, but uh, it was, it's called uh, Get Out Early, and the idea is how to plan your life, basically, to get out early. For those people who do have full-time jobs and who have a passion for something outside of that job and yeah. would like to maybe uh, leave it, there are certain things that you need to plan for and uh, have in place so that whenever that uh, it is time for you to jump, uh, you know, then your parachute will open because your parachute has been packed. So mm-hmm. you you do have life insurance, you have health insurance, you have uh, savings in the bank, you uh, you know have enough to take care of yourself for some period of time. You also uh, have a buy-in by your uh, spouse and family uh, and plans for them if something happens. For an example, you could have uh, you know, and I call a boomerang child, you know, where maybe that they you know go off and then they come back again. You know, it's like they they try to be successful or not, so they come back under your roof, you know, then again. So there are a yeah. lot of things in life that that happen to try to be to plan for uh and it's not something it's like well i'm tired of this job i'm going to quit well you can't do that you know because if you jump out you know the plane without a parachute or being packed properly you know it's just not going to open you need to make sure that you got all these things in place and to uh, uh so anyhow that was kind of the basis of uh you know i'm, I'm, I'm thinking that this is just uh um uh, you know, perhaps a time for people to reassess that if you are thinking about or were thinking about making some sort of a significant change uh, in your career and going from being A to something that's now Z, that is uh, Z, I guess, that would be something completely different, uh, that now would be a time to reassess that. You know, is that a direction that you're ready ready and willing to, to go? Yeah. And um, so... You know. Yeah, I mean it's very easy with, with magic because you because all of us enjoy it so much. When you're taking sure. that transition from having a full time day job and doing magic on the side to then doing that transition to being your own boss, and I think it's very um, easy to get carried away with the fun side of it and sure. forget that actually this is a business that you have to uphold as well. You know. Well, uh, in show business, they say that two thirds, you know, of show business is business. I mean, if you count the letters in the word show business, that business is two thirds of show business and that I uh, always go back to something that uh, Gene Anderson had told me and in fact had lectured on it's called the part-time professional uh, and that is that whenever that I was performing uh, as a full-time 
corporate employee that uh, but whenever I was performing for public I was a full-time professional uh, but I was only doing it on a part-time basis so the difference being is that uh, you know if you're an amateur the the connotation of the word amateur is that ah, you're not as good as really a, a full-time professional would be yeah. you know you're just kind of doing it as a hobby basically but if you're a part-time professional it means that the time that you're on stage you are a complete professional in every sense of the word you know your your dedication to the art to the performance to the audience is a complete commitment and immersion and uh, people would not know that you don't do this on a full-time basis and the same thing when like whenever I go to trade shows and I'm performing uh, and trying to bring people in and I'm talking about the product and the service and the and the company's attributes and why they should be doing business with this company and they start asking me some detailed questions, then I'll say, well, you need to talk with this person over here because you know they are the ones that have all the details. So, well, don't you work for so and so? I'll say, well, I do this weekend, you know, but not you know not all the time. But I'm giving the impression as if that I know as much, you know, as if that I am a professional. I I am an employee, and so that's my point is that. That's part of the mystery, I guess, that uh, you're, you're you're trying to create as a magician is for people uh, to think that you are a full-time employee or a magician. And you'd be surprised about how many people actually uh, who are really good magicians that we know who are, quote, celebrity magicians, uh, yeah. who do have other uh, jobs outside of magic that they uh, get either all or you know some large portion of their income uh, comes from, but they really don't talk about that outside job because they want everyone to think still that they are a part-time or I mean a full-time professional. Yeah, no, definitely. And so uh, with yourself, when you were doing the trade shows, so uh, do you still do trade shows or are you, you very much you don't perform as much anymore? You still perform. Uh, good question. And I uh, have uh, really scaled back uh, to the standpoint of being selective. Uh, a few years ago, decided mm -hmm. that there are clients that I have had for a while uh, and that if uh, A, it is someone that I worked for before that uh, that we've got a good relationship, yeah, that I'll do that. Or B, if it's an interesting location uh like i hear uh, before this all began uh had gone down to uh, south beach florida to perform uh for a company that they had a thing in a, in a restaurant a, a chef's restaurant uh and so it was kind of fun to do that so you know b if there's some place that is an exciting location and then c if, if the money's right i mean if yeah. uh you know if if they're going to pay me more than what that I would normally get it's like, okay, well, it's worth it, you know, that uh, less expenses and everything. So, uh, again, I've been a little bit more selective as to that. But but the reason I like trade shows, I guess, is because of the challenge of the um, create uh, the, the, the creative challenge that's involved with that. What is it that I have in my arsenal of magic knowledge that I can bring to the table to create an effect that will stop an audience and a crowd and also engage them with an interaction that will teach them about the product or the company that I'm talking about in, yeah. in an entertaining way. That's not just like a, you know, linking rings, you know, this is product service and you know, whatever, you know, that you're just, this represents this and this. No, you know, I want to have something that's going to be a little bit different and, and something that's going to be uh, engaging and actually stop the audience. So uh, mm -hmm. I find that to be uh, an exciting challenge intellectually for me. 
Yeah, I, I think trade shows is actually a very difficult thing to do. Um, you know, there's lots of musicians that go out as being able to do everything. You know, I do parlor, I do trade shows, when actually they probably haven't done a trade show, but they would do one if they got the gig. Um, when you get there, I, the first time I did one, it was a it was a completely different kettle of fish. You know, I felt like I was a bit out of my depth actually because it's not just entertaining you have that next thing where you need to keep people and then turn them into potential customers do you have any tips for people that are looking to get into trade shows well um this was kind of funny one of my uh, uh, good buddies uh, who got involved in trade shows and is extremely successful uh now and actually he was a, was a part-time magician uh, charlie mcfarland that uh, charlie uh, was a, a pilot for uh, continental airlines for a long number of years uh, but also then was doing trade shows. And uh, I think between he was saying that at one time, I think it was one year between trade shows and him flying that he was only home like 27 days out of the whole year because of how much he said, I, I got to cut back. Uh, so he got to be very successful. But his early days and one of his first uh, trade shows, this was an interesting story. He didn't know how much to charge. And they asked and he said, I tell you what, what if I just take, you know, uh, uh, I don't remember, it's one percent or three percent of anything that I that you sell that comes in as a direct result of something that uh, I'm talking about. Whenever I'm bringing in the crowd and I tell them about the product, and that if um, you uh, end up selling that product, then I get three percent of uh, of the uh, sales commission, uh, whatever that's going to be worth. And he said before the first, as I recall the story, before the first day was over, you know, that the president had come over or VP and said, we need to renegotiate our contract. We just had a guy come over here and they wanted to uh, uh, to buy this. And it was a three and a half million dollar thing that they had no idea. Said the magician told me about such and such. And he said, I didn't know that that this also did this. And said, I'm interested, you know, for our our company to have this. And so he said, I'm not paying you three percent or three and a half million dollars. (laughs) <laughs> so it sounded like a good idea to begin with, you know, to kind of get yeah. your foot in the door. So, you know, that my point is that, you know, that's one way of negotiating, you know, getting in and saying, look, that uh, I can do a percentage uh, of that. Uh, but um, uh, I, I think the, the best thing I could say just regarding uh, trade shows and any other kind of magic you do is to approach it from a very professional standpoint. Uh, they are professionals who like to deal with professionals and also friends like to deal with friends. So you need to uh, approach the, uh, uh, the potential client uh, as a client, but then also if you can uh, endear yourself to them by uh, engaging with them, getting to, to be friends. But also, um, whenever that you are having communication with them, making sure that you do have uh, good, clear and concise communication uh, through your emails, through whatever it is that uh, you are pitching to them, uh, and also to let them know that you're interested in them because you're invested in their success. It has nothing to do with you. Same thing I would recommend when you look at, when you're, if you're at home now and thinking about, you know, scrubbing your website, try to eliminate all the I and me, you know, but more of you and we is what should be, you know, more in there uh, as far as the uh, pronouns being used. And not so many pictures of you holding a, a fan of cards as it is just with the interaction, seeing the audience's expressions. If you're doing a wedding, if you're doing um, uh, a stage show that you can see the first the laughter and the people in the first few rows or whatever. It's not so much just uh, all about you. It should be about them because they're the ones who want to uh, have an experience like that person is having kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. When I go to talk and pitch a, uh, a trade show client, 
one of the things that uh, I do is to pretty much memorize what's on their splash page of their opening page of the website. So if I'm going to go to ABC Corporation, that I'll go to abccorporation.com, look and see what it is that they make or do. Uh, mm-hmm. And because those are the things that uh, uh, create the first impression when a potential client goes to look into what a company does, they go to the website and they may not go deep to the second, third, or definitely not in the sixth or the 12th page unless they are, you know, really technically interested or engineers or whatever reason that they're invested in going deeper and deeper into these uh, other uh, links through the website. But the, the first page should grab their attention. And so therefore there are certain key points that they are trying, they, the company are, tr- are trying to get across to their clients. So if right. you memorize those key points, and so when you go in, is to create something that will uh, be including those points. So that's the way that you sound like that you are knowledgeable about the company, which goes back to what I was saying earlier. When people start quizzing me, I know everything that's on the splash page, but beyond that, you know, I said, you need to talk with one of our employees over here. He can tell you, you know, more details about, you know, that service. Uh, and so um, those are, uh, and also, I guess the biggest tip would be, to recognize that you are not there to to do magic. You're not there to provide mystery necessarily. You are there as uh, you know another employee to try to bring somebody into and cross that line into their into their world, into their sphere, their their booth, yep. basically. Uh, and so, uh, just keep in mind that it's not about card flourishes and whatever else. It's it's really about um, your interaction with. Uh, with uh, clients or potential clients to, to, to bring them in and that magic is just a tool. It is the vehicle that you use in order to get people in. Just like uh, if they were having um, some celebrity who is a sports star or a singer or something who's signing autographs. I mean, they come in, that's, you know, they, they're there kind of as a tool to, to bring people in. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, magic is something that you can keep people there longer and engaged uh, as long as that as you're talking, you're also getting in the key points. For an example, I was uh, doing a thing of uh, uh, Lior Manor had uh, a chessboard that is a knight's tour. I don't know if you're familiar with the knight's tour, basically in which that you have a chessboard uh, and that uh, it was a digital chessboard, large screen TV thing, uh, mm-hmm. and that the uh, uh, the knight can move one up, two over, etc. Um, and you basically go around the whole board without landing on the same square twice. And so the board is numbered one through whatever, 63 or whatever numbers uh, in, in, on the board, and that... Um, uh, they can start wherever they want and have it on a blindfold, and then they would touch the screen, have someone from the audience touch the screen, and uh, say, you know, start wherever you want. And then they say that, and I'll say, go to you know, the next square. You know, I, I, I mean, I would give them the next number, and then they would uh, do that, and that uh, little thing would go blank. The point is that uh, every few numbers that I would say, okay, and I'd lift my mask, and I'd say, you know, like number 60, you know, we have 60 different uh, uh, locations, you know, throughout the world uh, that, uh, you know, plants that help to uh, develop this product, you know, and then and then skip around the board and say, well, right. 18, okay, we have 18 different products, you know, that we have patented, et cetera, et cetera. So you're kind of talking about that, you know, then as well, plus, you know, coming back out of character by lifting the mask and making sure the audience is still there and growing. And then at the end, after that you're finished, then this whole screen would pixelate and then it had the logo of the company. So right. it... Yeah, it was a very nice effect, and also uh, drew a big crowd because when they see someone who is 
uh, blindfolded and, and uh, this big screen TV and they're wondering what's going on. It really, you know, drew, drew traffic. So I found that to be successful, you know, then too. Yeah, that's some great advice. And um, yeah, I, I always hear, you know, trade shows and it's not something I've really looked into, but um, yeah, it is big over here. As it is, I think it's, it's way bigger over there, but it is, it is big here. Just talking about sort of um, different performance settings as well. Uh, weddings isn't isn't such a popular thing over in the U.S., is it, uh, to have wedding magicians? That's correct. You know, I've had this conversation frequently with uh, people from the U.K. because I'm always fascinated about why that it is bigger over there than it is here. And mm. I'm really kind of still unclear yet as to why it is there but not here. And I have uh, tried that uh, here from the standpoint that um, – uh, I have, uh, you know, one of the links on my website that is dedicated just to doing weddings. Uh, also, uh, many years ago, I was ordained. So this way that I can marry people, then after the service is over and they take pictures, I can do strolling or do a show or whatever, you know, to uh, compliment the, the wedding by being an entertainer as well as the officiant for the, uh, for the wedding. Um, but uh, I, it was interesting because some years ago, uh, the Wall Street Journal, no, not the journal, but... Um, uh, New York Times had uh, contacted me. They were looking for something for their uh, people section for the weekend edition, uh, talking about uh, entertainment for weddings, that typically people will have DJs uh, and or live uh, musicians. Um, but, you know, new things were coming along like cigar rollers and it's whatever else. Uh, right. And But magicians was something that was kind of not on the radar and they couldn't find anybody else, else in the United States. And I'm in Houston, Texas, and that was in New York. And they contacted me and did a short uh, piece then on me as well. Uh, and I really got nothing out of that, you know, either. I've been to several wedding um, uh, uh, events, uh, conventions where that I would have a booth and I would talk about, you know, I would have people, you know, I would draw people to the booth just like I normally would to a trade show and yeah. do magic for them and say, this is the kind of thing that I can do for your wedding then too. I think that the, uh, I don't know what the, why the difference is, but I think there is a difference. And perhaps over here where, uh, and I, it was just my brother and I, so I wasn't brought up with a sister and I had two boys. So I really can't speak from the experience of, of, of girls or women, but as they are girls, it seems like that, uh, the girls are the, the princes. They are the apple of their father's eye and they are treated, you know, like a special princes, uh, when they are young. And so when they have a wedding, that's the day they become queen, you know, and not just their yeah. father's eyes, but you know, in the world and the whole wedding is about them specifically that they uh, have, uh, uh, the makeup, the hair, the dress, the, I mean, everything is about them and the focus is on them and there should not be anything else that, uh, doesn't, um, uh, allow for the focus to keep directed on, on the woman of the day. Uh, okay. even the men, you know, they have just a plain black and white, penguin tuxedo kind of a thing there's nothing you know new which was different in mine when my wife and i got married that i wore a white tuxedo and white patent leather shoes and everything too i yeah. thought you know well, white's supposed to represent virginity and if that that was well, kind of silly you know if she's gonna wear white i am too so what the heck yeah. so any, <laughs> but anyhow uh that uh over here that again uh if a magician comes out people i don't think that the the bride wants people to remember the wedding saying, wow, that was such a fun wedding. That magician was fantastic. The things he did, and then we had da-da-da-da-da. They want people to say, oh, well, her dress was just fantastic, and the, the cake was really good, and the way it was catered, et cetera, et cetera. They don't want, uh, you know, somebody to outshine them. Um, and so I yes. try to make sure that whenever I'm pitching these uh, things to weddings, that 
they want to uh, have uh, uh, to, to know that I'm going to stop whenever that they're going to throw the garter. Or they're going to have a toast. They're going to have the first dance or whatever it is that I'm going to stop. It's not like I'm going to continue to try to, uh, you know, keep attention on me. I want attention to be all on, uh, again, the couple who have just gotten wed. So, um, uh, yeah. you know, I have. It was kind of funny. One wedding I had not too long ago, someone contacted me and, and they were specifically looking for, uh, a mentalist. They wanted me to do mentalism, uh, a full mentalism show. They said that, uh, uh, you know, I, I did not, uh, I was not the officiant for their wedding. They had someone else marry them, but they wanted me to and not do strolling either, but to do a full mentalism show, which was fine and, and worked out great and got some great shots and everybody had a, had a good time. But that was kind of interesting. I thought instead of having a magician, they said, well, we saw a, a mentalist one time. So they knew what a mentalist and a mind reader was, which is kind of unusual in general populace. Uh, yeah. And so uh, for them to have booked me specifically for that. And so we happened to meet in a, uh, in a Starbucks in a, in a grocery store. And they said, can you show us something? And I said, sure. He walked over to the book section and I just did a Hoy book test for them. And, and I said, oh, that's great. That's great. That's kind of things we want you to do. So yeah, no. and I, it's just um, interesting to see the difference, you know, uh, fly across the pond, and it, it's completely different. Because here, I, I think, you know, from just from my point of view, everyone at weddings tries to have that extra something that people are going to talk about. So, mm. be a silhouette artist or a caricaturist, a magician, um, and yeah, there's always almost this one-upmanship between friends and family that have been to each other's weddings that go, oh, you know, we, we want that extra something, singing waiters. Um, so, yeah, the entertainment industry over here, as far as weddings go, uh, is a big chunk, I think, of a magician's um, yearly income, really. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I just wanted to yeah, see your point of view on that, and, and that is very interesting to me. And um, likewise, that you don't have right. the restaurant magicians over there as you do here um i mean it's it's a big thing here but uh not so much in, in the uk but uh and also correct me if i'm wrong but aren't weddings longer over there i mean they can go through lunch and dinner so uh, i've heard magicians who have performed at breakfast and then they come back later and do something in the afternoon yeah yeah so you can offer a package and do um yeah, it's a whole day thing so it will start well i say whole day the ceremony could be at one or two and it will go through to 11 12 at night um, but as a magician, you know, we, we tend to uh, do the drinks reception into the sit down meal is a nice option there um, or you do the evening. So, yeah. You, and as you say, you can offer the whole thing. But yeah, that's, that's a lot of a lot of time. Um, but well, yeah, it's it's not so. been a competition thing over here at all. I think that it's again about uh, the one person and that'd be the bride. And it's not mm. like her which is another thing you know you've always heard about how that the bridesmaids dresses are so ugly you never see them wearing their dresses anywhere except at that wedding and i think there is an intentional uh reason why they're not attractive because they don't want to draw attention to the bridesmaid so much as you do to the bride it's herself right. uh but uh uh, so I, I don't think uh, I've, never, I've never really heard that as being a uh, com competition saying that, you know, this person's wedding was great, but mine's going to be even better. You know, I like these ideas, you know, and I'm going to capitalize yeah. that and I'm going to have unicorns at mine or whatever. You know, I mean, it just I don't think they'd ever openly voice that. But I do think mm. inside it's a bit of an internal monologue. You know, it's um, yeah. they're always looking for the next thing to wow their guests, uh, I think um but yeah it's that, that's just my opinion but um 
So I just want to uh, move on briefly because as, as well as performing magic, you teach as well. And I know that you've actually uh, loads of lecturers that come over and uh, you, you put them around the States and organize mm-hmm. their tours and stuff. Uh, how did you get into that? Well, I uh, have been attending lectures, obviously, for a very long time and learned a lot from a lot of people. Um, and uh, when I... Um, there was a, a magician up in Dallas uh, named Bob Carlback who has since passed. But uh, as he was, uh, uh, and he was one who used to put together lectures in and around Texas and other states also. So he had a, a little tour basically of about six different cities uh, when lectures would come through. Now, this would have been back in the uh, 70s and 80s. Uh, is that right? Yeah, probably 70s and 80s, I guess. Yeah. And then um, into the early 90s and uh, the uh, late 90s that uh, he kind of fell out and decided not to do that anymore. Well, it kind of left an opening where people were uh, wanting to lecture, but they didn't have anybody to coordinate a tour per se. And so uh, Mike Amar is a good friend of mine. And during the uh, SAM uh, National, I had a uh, uh, wanted him to do a one. It was on their 100th uh, on their centenary um, uh, celebration. They were having him do a free lecture to uh, SAM assemblies and that uh, uh, he said, well, you need to have, uh, you know, to coordinate uh, the tour. And he basically said, I'd love to do it, but I don't have the time to coordinate that. He said, the guy who's most organized that I know who could put this together would be Scott Wells. So uh, they contacted me, and I said, sure. And so I put together a tour, uh, uh, I don't know how many, about 100 cities or something, um, wow. uh, for him to uh, to go on from – Gosh, uh, up and down the East Coast and uh, around the around the country, different places. I mean, first of all, it was Mike Amar. Number two, it was free. Uh, so everybody was taking it. Uh, it was, so it was fairly easy, but it was just a matter of me putting this all together so that it made sense chronologically and logistically and geographically so that he wasn't crisscrossing from, new, you know, back and forth from different cities and traveling a thousand mm-hmm. miles needlessly. So uh, once I had this uh, uh, group of uh, uh of contacts basically for for lectures then um for lecture committee chairman uh different cities then i thought hmm, you know that uh i could some i don't remember if someone else had contacted me or how that uh someone reached out to me after that and i said yeah i can help you with this and because i've already kind of uh, built the wheel i mean it's still you know uh not maybe not completely round but i've got some general ideas and and so i started building that and this would have been about 2002 that I actually kicked off what i call the southern lecture tour the idea being mainly for the south someplace was going to be texas louisiana you know uh, florida georgia uh, alabama and uh, over into up in oklahoma you know over in new mexico so basically kind of the south and then one thing kind of led to another in which that uh, i now have it uh, nationwide including the midwest and and uh, wow. I've got like 60 plus cities that i regularly uh, work with uh, to put uh, these this lecture together so since 2002 i've had over 150 lecturers that i have put on uh, uh, multiple city tours um, i mean again i'm just a con do it. I haven't been really anybody who uh, can guarantee that they're going to be getting anything uh, at all. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of put their names out, and it's based upon uh, you know the the credibility uh, of me uh, you know over a period of time. So I vet these people. I mean, not everybody that comes to me and through me, uh, I you know that I, I can help because I'll say, well, like, what are you bringing new to the table? What do you what do you have? What are you teaching? Yeah. Um, what testimonials do you have? And there are people who I don't know very well. 
or if at all, uh, but I take the uh, uh, testimonials of friends uh, very seriously uh, that uh, who might recommend them. And I've been, uh, again, in a fortunate situation having attended a lot of magic conventions and actually work with a lot of people, uh, again, the Magic Island people who come through all the time. And so uh, it's like with my podcast, again, the people I speak with for the most part are friends. I'd probably say 80% of the people I've worked with, you know, whether it's been guys at the castle or the Magic Castle or the Magic Island or, you know, at magic conventions. Uh, I have been, uh, you know, worked with the uh, IBM uh, National um, and uh, board of directors and was the convention chairman have been uh past president of the texas association of magicians so i uh, i i know a lot of people and i so mm. i can kind of count on them but there are some people who i may not necessarily know as well but uh, let's say like mark james you know mark had contacted me saying he was wanting to lecture a few years ago and i yeah. did not know him but i uh, uh you know took some recommendations you know I, you know Noel britain and others are saying yeah you know this guy's great he'd be fine uh, and so I was going to go with him and started putting something together. And he said, oh, you know, before you go much, much further, I just got booked for some cruise ships. He said, I can't do it. He said, we'll get back together again later. And we've never picked up since then. So I'm hoping that uh, since then I've gotten to know of Mark better. And I wish that I had time to spend time with him because he seems like yeah. a great guy. That yeah, kind of a thing, you know, that kind of a person, you know, that I'd like to, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people in the U.S., but because of my travels and going to FISM and Blackpool and elsewhere that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, I've, I've gotten to be friends with uh, with other people, plus being, you know, best friends and and business partners with Banachek since 1987, that, um, you know, I've uh, gotten to uh, uh, know a lot of people in the mentalism field, you know, then as well, you know, which is a whole different uh, uh, area worldwide. So that's been interesting. Definitely. And do, do you still um, do you still organize these? Do you still have people reach out to you? If our listeners were, were looking to do a lecture tour, uh, would they be able to reach out to you or do you take oh, sure. more uh, word of mouth and, and, and from friends at the moment? It, it is. Uh, no, no, I, I get unsolicited uh, emails frequently and I encourage that as well. It's just lectures with plural lectures at scottwells.com. And uh, I just need to uh, know what the lecture is about and uh, you know, if you've done them before. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what, 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 what are you bringing to the table that's new? What have you got that, uh, uh, might be of interest and I, uh, can be very frank, you know, because it's just business. I mean, I'd like to, to help. Um, and I also like to introduce uh, the country to new people. I remember, uh, when people didn't know who David Stone was, you know, and I was the first one who booked his tour. Uh, and, uh, obviously, you know, he kind of took off in the U S uh, from there. Um, and there've been some others like that from overseas whose names were uh, unknown, but again, I've developed a reputation so that people trust my judgment whenever that I recommend someone to come in as their lecturer uh, and they, and they learn a lot uh, from them. Uh, but, uh, if, if they're too much like of cards or too much of one thing or another that it, it need be, uh, you have multiple platforms, you know, in other words, not just uh, all, you know, one trick pony, so to speak, kind of a thing there. It should be a little bit more varied and also has some things for uh, beginners to uh, uh, to uh, full time pros. You know, I came over to the UK and I lectured 2012, I think it was. And I had about 13, 14 cities, I think, that I lectured for at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a lot of fun, had a lot of really uh, good feedback uh, from that and uh, maintained some uh, long relationships and some emails, uh, friendships with some people uh, that I hadn't met before, but I'd maintained since then. Uh, but and a lot of clubs are saying, hey, you know, that we, we can't right now, but if it would have been last month or next month, we've already got, you know, we could have something then. And so I thought, well, sometime in the future, we'll come back. And so, you know, I still yeah. might come back and pick up some other cities in some future time then throughout the UK as well. But uh, yeah, I'd say that people just contact me that 
I will definitely get back to you uh, with information on what I'm looking for. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. And you have your own lecture, as you said, and uh, I haven't watched it yet. So apologies for that. But you have an at the table as well. I do, which was kind of a funny thing. Whenever they contacted me, I thought, have you got the wrong number? I mean, you, you really <laughs> talked to me. Uh, I said, yeah, sure. Uh, I said, well, you must have finally gotten down to the W's, I guess. And so they're <laughs> in the alphabet. Uh, so they uh, uh, so we did. And then after we got there that uh, uh, I uh, was on in the afternoon, they had just finished with uh, I think they had either done Losander. No, they had just finished the Michael Layer, I think, that morning because they picked me up. They were dropping him off at the airport and then picking me up and then we were going to do something. The point is that uh, they wanted me to do at least two hours. I said, that's not a problem because uh, uh, when I lectured at the Magic Castle, I uh, uh, I had three different uh, lectures and that I had uh, given at three different times that were two hour lectures each completely different about different subjects. Wow. Uh, and so um I said, yeah, you know, let's get started. And so um, we we broke finally, you know, for dinner. You know, I think that the after they got it all edited and put together, it was a three and a half hour, three wow. and a half hour uh, <laughs> lecture. So I certainly can talk. Uh, so <laughs> and then afterwards, wow. like, oh, I forgot. I, you know, I could have included this, this and this or a couple other things I had forgotten about. So it's been it was fun. That's fantastic. So I'd encourage people, as I will myself, to to go and pick that up. You know, the at the table lectures are so well priced, and the amount of information and stuff you get from them, they are well worth taking a look. So, um, yeah, and check that out also on my website. Yeah, at themagicwordpodcast.com dot com. That uh, they're on their lecture items, or I think I've got something. They've got some at the table lectures, and that uh, you can order the hard copy or the uh, the, the download uh, through my website there at the podcast website. Brilliant, and that leads me nicely in. Um, what a segue! Well, to, to, <laughs> yeah, you've done this before, sir. You've done this before. Um, <laughs> Professional. <laughs> this leads me into talking about the podcast. You know, this is something um, that I listen to on a weekly basis. I I love listening to it, and I said earlier, it opens me up to finding out new magicians, learning new stuff, and yeah, I really want to know how did this start for you? When uh, is it? Has it been ten years you've been doing it now? Yeah, well, almost uh, started like I want to say March of 2011, uh, as far as with this podcast, the Magic Board podcast. But I was doing something uh, before that then as well. Um, I guess it kind of goes back even a little bit further. Let me explain, Dave, that um, I many years ago had a thing that I had published in our local Magic Club newsletter that uh, eventually went uh, uh, worldwide. It was called Scott's Thoughts. And I had... Uh, um, uh, it, it was basically about, uh, you know, 700 to 1,000 word uh, essays on different kinds of things about keeping things fresh, you know, uh, uh, how to uh, look good on stage, you know, uh, a, lo a lot of theory, uh, you know, uh, how do you interact with other magicians when you go to a restaurant and there's a magician already working there? You know, you don't want to take his job, but, you you know, how do you yeah. – or if you're an assistant on stage, how do you – to another magician, you know, how do you act like a, uh, a general – the punter, you know, basically. So the uh, so that was a very successful uh, uh, series that I had run, and I know that uh, it was uh, published far and wide. Uh, I know Aberdeen had uh, published this. In fact, it was funny. I had recently uh, was speaking with um, 
uh, Chris Cox uh, over there in the UK. Uh, and I was talking about, uh, I had written a little treatise one time called, is, uh, you know, is mentalism boring? And he said, yeah, I've read that. And I said, really? <laughs> it's like, okay. So that was, that was one of those things as part of Scott's thoughts that I had published, you know. So, you know, I'm always flattered when someone has read something from way back when. And then uh, I was sitting around in a bar one time with Simon Lovell and that uh, is not unusual. Uh, and so uh, Simon said, you know, you really need to release those children, you know, let them grow, let them be free, you know, so that way you can go and have you write something else and, you know, new. And mm. he was also one then who had encouraged me, you know, then later to, uh, uh, I had done a thing called, uh, now you see it with Scott Wells. It was, uh, and is still available for magic club convention or club magic conventions, uh, to have a, uh, kind of a, a chat show, a television chat show kind of a thing where I had a, a, a couch, uh, you know, on a chair, uh, a desk, uh, maybe a planter or something, you know, so it looked like a, a proper uh, chat show kind of a uh, of a thing. And would whoever happened to be the talent on the convention then uh, have them come in and then um, I would chat for about 15 minutes uh, with the person and then we would show a, uh, a video commercial. OK, we're going to go to break and then we'll come back then with our next guest after that. And mm. during the break, quote, that I then would show a video that would be a video commercial. Let's say it was an old time commercial with Harry Blackstone Sr., you know, selling something uh, or maybe it had something with uh, uh, the amazing Kreskin selling New Jersey lottery tickets. Or perhaps uh, it was David Copperfield's mother who was selling Robitussin cough syrup. I mean, they're real commercials, but it was you know kind of fun to watch these old commercials during the break. Then they come back and have somebody else. Uh, but uh, to begin with, you know, I had some I had a little monologue and uh, Simon Lovell had written some jokes. And uh, occasionally, depending upon the size of the convention, I might even have live music. I mean, I had Mike Close um, you know, playing the piano for me then once and kind of having a banner wow. back and forth between him and, and maybe having as an MC, you know, who introduced me, like I remember Oscar Munoz, you know, was introducing me, you know, then one time. So it was just, you know, kind of a, a proper chat show and maybe even having uh, a game show, you know, some other fun where we would give away things from the dealers. So every convention would be completely different because there'd be different talent. And because of my relationship with these guys that I'd work with over sure. the years, uh, that, uh, it was just like having a conversation with them. And so, uh, again, Simon was one who had encouraged me to do that and was a, a guest on my show then several times then as well. Uh, and then I was contacted by Dodd Vickers, who has the magic news uh, magicnewswire.com, which is still out there, and highly recommend that that would be uh, your ultimate source for going back to, into the archives and to listen to real stories about magicians. What he had done back then was to really dive deep into the lives of magicians and kind of ask them, you know, who was your mentor? What was your favorite trick? How'd you get started? But they were not a 20-question kind of uh, uh, chats. They were really more uh, uh, personal conversations. And it's interesting because he is not a magician, was not a magician, but he had done a lot of research and he liked to research uh, and read books and find out about these guys. So whenever he would have them on his guests, that yeah. he could ask uh, personal questions about them. But he never attended a convention, never attended a magic meeting. He didn't do any magic, but he was, uh, you know, very well versed and had a, a very entertaining uh, and educational uh, podcast. Then he decided that uh, he would branch that off a little bit and do a, um, a Sunday night podcast where he would kind of have uh, a little bit of a of a party kind of an atmosphere where that he would have a uh, uh, four of us 
that would be regulars basically at this bar. We'd kind of have some music or something in the background, sound like clinking glasses or whatever. Uh, mm. And uh, then they would have, you know, coming in as a guest, oh, here's Matt King tonight, you know, or here's Johnny Thompson, you know. And so they got to drop in. And so he would contact, call them, and then we would all interact. Well, each of us had a different perspective uh, because we had uh, – um, Cameron Ramsey, who was a young man, young magician. So he had a perspective of the youth that uh, he could ask questions uh, like that. Uh, there was another fella whose name escapes me right now, but he was an, an illusionist. So talked more about stage and uh, understood a lot more about that end of it. Uh, and then David Kay, Silly Billy, who yeah. really obviously uh, has uh, celebrated status of uh, children's show magic. And then myself, uh, just with business and with uh, history uh, and uh, uh, different different perspective, an older guy <laughs> of uh, that I could ask other uh, questions. So we had a, 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 a nice mix on a Sunday night where we would we would have these uh, wonderful shows. And then uh, I uh, uh, started as I was attending conventions, would uh, do these chats with different people at the convention who were the talent, the organizers, the dealers, uh, the registrants. And then I would send that in to Dodd uh, as a convention update. And he published a few of those. And then he kind of got away from the Sunday night thing, plus the rest of his magic newswire, because he had another full-time job that he started getting involved where he was uh, working uh, with uh, movies uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and also television. I think he was involved with uh, The Walking Dead, uh, kind of, you know, site selection and some catering and some other things he was involved with. So, and he got away from the podcasting, but he suggested to me that perhaps I should have my own podcast. He said, rather than me publishing the, the things you're sending in to me to be broadcast, why don't you just open up your own? I, so he kind of kicked me out of the nest, so to speak. And so I said, okay. yeah, I guess I can do that. I kind of, I've got the equipment and the knowledge and my background, uh, my undergraduate degree was in journalism with a minor in radio and television. So I had a lot of uh, uh, media experience because I'd worked at uh, uh, television radio stations uh, early on. So I had some uh, idea kind of of what to, uh, uh, yeah, how this all worked. And again, I had the equipment. Uh, so I started doing that and a uh, little at a time that my, uh, my, not only my knowledge in the uh, technical side of what I needed to do and, and put this all together, but also just in my uh, ability to uh, ask questions and to step back and to let people actually do the talking like you're doing now and listening <laughs> to people rather than, you know, trying to, you know, go through 20 questions and trying to jump to the next question without listening to what the answer is from that person to really engage them in conversation. So it's just over a period of time, just kind of uh, learned a lot of lessons. And so, you know, now I've got 550, almost 60 episodes episodes uh, that are out there, uh, you know, in the archives that um, uh, with just about everybody, you know, but, uh, yeah. you know, there's a never ending uh, stream of magicians who are out there, certainly. And so uh, a lot more that I have uh, plans to uh, to talk to then as well. No, I mean, I, I love listening to them. And one of my highlights is when you go to conventions, um, you know, it's I was saying to you last time we spoke about mm -hmm. um, Magic Cuba convention. I mean, I'd never heard of that and you went and uh, i think it was either four or five days and and you would record on all of the days uh talk to different magicians that were around and about and i really had a, a sense by the end of it that i had kind of experienced the convention even though i hadn't been there um that was really incredible so how do you pick the conventions is it just places you want to go or do you get you know friends that say oh you've got to go to this uh, good question. Uh, and they uh, are those which I select uh, rather than others saying, hey, you need to come to. But I, there are a few that 
I want to go to every year. Like I uh, like to go to the 4F. I've been there for like 35 years, uh, which is an invitation-only close-up convention, and that just there's nothing else like that. Uh, there, um, I, I like the Texas Association of Magicians. Again, being a past president of that, I used to uh, attend the IBM uh, conventions. Uh, said I was on the board. I've been uh, a convention chairman, site selection chairman. I've done about everything on every position except being president of the organization of the IBM. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I um, so I. I used to attend uh, those. Those were kind of the, uh, the, the, and also because that was an international convention that had a, a, a large attendance. I'll also say that the Texas Association of Magicians, the TAOM, uh, used to have uh, larger attendance even than the IBM or the SAM. In fact, when I was the president back in 2000, that was the last year we had over a thousand registrants, but then no convention here in, uh, except for the Magic Live uh, has over a thousand uh, conventions. I think maybe the Genie Convention might, no, I think there's about 800. But uh, anyhow, uh, the uh, Magic Live uh, is like uh, uh, 1,600 people. Uh, but uh, again, uh, before that, that was, uh, came to be, that the other conventions were getting smaller and smaller. Uh, and so I still I like to select those that are a little bit uh, unique uh, or maybe more niche. Um, and uh, like the Mindvention, for an example, in um, in Las Vegas, it's yeah. a fairly small convention, about 100 uh, people who attend. But I find that of the convention reports that I uh, broadcast, that seems to have more downloads and more interest in that convention than others, which is kind of funny because maybe people attend the larger conventions and they know what's going on. They're not so interested as they are in the smaller ones where people aren't going like, like the Mindvention. Sure. Uh, you know, I like Abbott's get together. That is uh, completely unique. One that I've not yet uh, attended, but I'd like to, uh, is Steve Daly's Abra Corn Dabra, which is in Iowa, I believe. Uh, I understand that's been a great convention. Uh, again, I just kind of like to find, uh, some of these that are a little bit different. And once I've attended, you know, just kind of being a, a one-off, I, uh, uh, was really wanting to attend uh, Blackpool here this year, but I had actually uh, another um, obligation and a, <laughs> a contract uh, to perform elsewhere, and was unable to uh, to make it to here this year. But uh, uh, but I really wanted to to do that. So if if things change and next year in 2021 that we'll be able to attend, then I'm uh, anxious to go back and uh, to cover that. I'm uh, scheduled to go to FISM, uh, Quebec. Uh, it's another thing I I, I love going to uh, FISM. Uh, when I didn't go to Busan, but I have been to about five uh, other uh, FISMs and had covered the one in Rimini, I believe, when I was out there then, too. But, yeah, you know, Cuba was a one-off kind of a thing, and I'm uh, so glad that I was able to attend and to report on that. And I kind of felt like it was yeah. a travel log also. So people who had never been to Cuba, like myself, or may never go back, you know, what, what's the place like? It's a, it's kind of a land of mystery that since it's a communist country and not many people get into the country, it was very unique opportunity for uh, me and other magicians in particular to get to travel there and and perform and do whatever it was just uh so it was different so i think there is a lot of interest in, in that convention but uh, again i like to kind of give color of the uh the city so i remember oh golly there was some convention i had attended and there was a nearby chocolate factory so i went over and i talked with the, some of the employees you know about when they're making chocolate you know in this uh, place and just kind of doing a little bit of uh, chamber of commerce work for the company or for the uh, for the cities to let people know that there's more than, you know, just magic going on when you're when you're coming to visit this, this city. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I I'm still going back over ones that you have. You know, if you've got not over nine years worth of stuff, I haven't listened to half of it probably. Um, so I always sort of 
uh, flicking through and finding new bits and that's how I found the magic cuba so uh, for people who are interested in this they're able to get hold of them where can they uh, go and listen to all these podcasts they are available through the archive so go and that's a thank to uh, uh, Ian Rowland actually Ian had asked me uh, one time uh, about it'd be really great if you could actually post uh, an archive of where people can go back and find these. And so I uh, use Squarespace as my domain provider. Uh, and I uh, looked into uh, the template and there was an ability to uh, populate this archives. And so I did within the day and I wrote him back and I said, hey, thanks for the suggestion. It's done. <laughs> so uh, if you go to the magic word podcast.com, you'll see a a link on the left-hand side over there. There'll be, well, depending upon if you're looking on a tablet or your phone or a computer, uh, laptop, but uh, there, there is a, a link to archives and click on the archives and it will go back to all of the uh, past episodes. The problem with iTunes and some other uh, podcast servers uh, only keep like the most recent 100. So in order to go back to some of the others, like one, you know, one of my favorites was with uh, David Stone, another one with Noel Britton, uh, another one, uh, Michael Dardant, uh, another one with uh, uh, Dan Garrett, um, uh, you know, Paul Daniels. Uh, there were some others, you know, that were back then that, uh, you know, Tom Mullica, some, some that I, you know, recommend, but you, you can't find them if you start going back through in your iTunes uh, category. So you really have to go back to the base website, to the archives and kind of right. scroll down and, or it's got a search engine there too. You can type in anybody's name, you know, basically, you know, and that uh, it will say anytime that the person's name was mentioned, you know, somewhere in one of these podcasts. Wow. That, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing that. And I urge all my listeners to do that as well. You know, if they're listening to this, they like podcasts. And if you haven't heard of the magic word, you need to go and listen to it. So, uh, yeah, thank you for that, Scott. And moving forward. So you were I was going to ask you what's next for you, but you're working on a project at the moment um, that's very interesting. Currently, uh, I am. Thank you for asking about this. This uh, is, uh, I'm not certain when you're going to be releasing this uh, episode, uh, but uh, as we sit here on uh, uh, mid-May, that uh, it was a 10-week uh, program called Magician's Relief Project, and I had a local uh, magician friend of mine uh, uh, named Gene Protus, and uh, Gene is one fact that who had come up with the uh, uh, Banachek Protus Psycalc, which was an uh, international bestseller. We finally sold out of all those, but it was a, a gimmick calculator that he developed. Anyhow, uh, so he uh, and his wife had dedicated uh, $500 uh, towards Magician's Relief. Um, over, and he said, I'd like to do this like over a 10, 10 week period, uh, and be able to, uh, to give this to magicians in re who, who are, uh, needing some assistance then right now. Um, and the more we talked about this, the way that developed is, uh, is this, that um, uh, over this 10 week period, uh, first of all, identifying a magic dealer that is in need. First of all, I guess I should say, before we begin is to say that uh, certainly that uh, as we are sheltered in place during this pandemic, again, worldwide, hence the word pandemic, that uh, everyone is suffering to varying degrees. And those who uh, seem to be suffering the most are gig artists. Uh, those of us who are dependent upon our income uh, that is coming from uh, the uh, uh, benefactors who have some discretionary income to go towards uh, assistance. Now, the, uh, uh, the the basic needs are still there. You know, food, clothing, and shelter, just uh, on the hi uh, Maslow's hierarchy of 
needs of that first uh, level that uh, we're kind of going back to to begin with of what we actually physically and uh, financially need. Um, But we still need to have that self-esteem and to feel good about ourselves and to kind of break out of that, be able to buy magic. So this way that when things do start to return, that we'll have some new material. Plus, we'll feel good about ourselves because we've kind of it's kind of like, you know, going out and buying a new pair of pants or for a lady to buy a dress or, you know, whatever. You know, you, you go out and you buy something that is. Um, you know, it's not a necessity, but it's something that makes you feel good about yourself. And magic is one of those things that magicians, we all feel good about going and buying something. So, Mm -hmm. but we can't really afford to do that. And if we do, that's going to be at the expense of maybe tonight's dinner, you know, or something or this week's, uh, you know, rent or whatever. So um, the idea is then let's uh, put this money towards something that would be specifically towards uh, magic and magicians to who, who need the relief. So the idea then is to go to have uh, this money to be put into uh, a credit account or uh, as a gift card or something uh, through a magic dealer uh, uh, who has some uh, online presence, uh, whether it's a brick and mortar shop or someone who is, uh, uh, which were the brick and mortar shops are the ones who are in the most need, particularly right now, because they still have leases that they are having to pay for, perhaps employees uh, that uh, they're needing to uh, to cover. And uh, they brick and mortar shops are having problems to begin with, even in the best of times. But now that we're in this uh, shutdown period, it's, it's even worse. And so without their online presence, I'm sure that uh, many of them will be closing once that we, things kind of reopen, they probably won't. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to keep them open a little bit longer or help if we can, even though that uh, uh, they would be getting some portion of that, because in other words, they uh, would uh, be able to sell whatever retail. In other words, we're giving them 50 bucks a week uh, that they're still keeping whatever because they're buying wholesale and then selling retail. But the yep. uh, then we have people who are identified who need some assistance uh, just from the website at the Magic Word Podcast dot com that uh, there is a form to fill in uh, that would just be a name and an email address of someone who is in need. And uh, it doesn't matter where they are worldwide, because, again, that could be just a download, a PDF. It could be, uh, you know, something like, you know, my lecture notes or something if they wanted to get that, you know, uh, mm. sent by PDF. It doesn't matter where they are in the world, obviously. And so there's no shipping. You don't have to worry about uh, the shipping on that. So uh, whether you are in need or you know someone else who is in need, you know, I'm encouraging people then to put their names in there. So the name is kept anonymous. The name of the magic dealer is kept anonymous then as well, uh, and because... These people who uh, who are in need, uh, keep in mind, this is not charity, but this is just magicians helping magicians. We all need a little help now and again, and now is the time when I think that uh, need is the greatest. And so by uh, some people um, pitching in financially and helping, that would be great. And that's what's happened is that I've had a couple other people who have donated uh, some uh, other uh, funds. And so now actually I can say that we're giving $73 a week uh, for the balance of the next seven weeks. Uh, for this, uh, for, towards this project and identifying a different person each week because that those names go into a spreadsheet. And so I have a random generator. So a person's name is selected. And then I would notify a randomly selected um, dealer who is in need uh, to say, you know, th- these two people need to get hooked up. And so money is sent to the dealer uh, for credit 
towards whoever that recipient might be for that week. So different people are helped each week during that time. So uh, that's where you would go is to the magicwordpodcast.com if you want to um, put your name in or the name of someone who might need assistance. But we also can really use your financial support so that uh, it will go towards uh, them and just over a prorated period of whatever time is going to be left. Uh, and just uh, if you send an email to me, that's scott at themagicwordpodcast.com, then I can send you details on how you can uh, financially uh, support uh, you know those who are in need. Uh, and I, I think this is something that is uh, very helpful. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That's such a lovely thing to do, Scott. Amazing. So the magicworldpodcast.com, guys, go and check it out um, for everything, really, to go down the archive to help out with this. And it's a, it's a place to kind of... Um, just go and spend a couple hours listening to some amazing podcasts. Um, Scott, I, I could sit here and talk with you forever <laughs> and already uh, an hour and 15 has gone by. Um, so I, I want to bring this to a close by, by just saying thank you so much for giving up your time. Um, I urge everyone to uh, go and listen to your podcast. So also, if people were to uh, want to follow you, are you on Facebook? Where's the best place to get hold of you? I am. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, Instagram at Scott Wells Magic. Uh, same thing at uh, Twitter is uh, Scott Wells Magic. And on Facebook, I uh, uh, go to, uh, well, I, I suggest really going and uh, liking the page for the Magic Word podcast. Just uh, do a search for uh, the Magic Word podcast. And the reason I say that is because that uh, under my Scott Wells Facebook account, that if I'm, I've been near 5,000 for a few years now, and I'm trying to keep that because if you get over 5,000, it, it changes the complexion of your website, and you can't, anyhow, long story. So I'm, trying to get people to actually to uh, just to uh, get a few more thousand people I mean to go to the uh, uh, magic word podcast Facebook page be the best place because there's a lot of stuff that uh, you need to know or is uh, being uploaded uh, there and whenever that you go to the uh, website itself of the magic word podcast that you can join our pod letter it's a new word I coined uh, which is a weekly newsletter that basically lets you know who's going to be on from week to week who's on that week who's coming up next week also if we have contests we just recently uh, gave away uh, two apps for the stranger by Jonathan Levitt which is a hundred and fifty dollar app both in one an iPhone and one an Android so you have opportunities to uh, to win contests so we announce that uh, in the in the pod letter each week if there's going to be something you know coming up uh, plus suggestions from the archives that you can go back and uh, also that uh, if you want to help keep this podcast free, that uh, we appreciate any financial assistance that you can give us in becoming a friend of The Magic Word. And, and uh, again, if you go to themagicwordpodcast.com, there's a place there that just says become a friend. And there's a video you can watch and understand why that we uh, need your financial support to keep this uh, ongoing for another 10 years. Fantastic. So go and support them, guys. Uh, you will love it. And if you love listening to podcasts and you're here, you're absolutely like you'll lose a couple of months because there's loads to go through <laughs> but you will love it so scott thank you so much for joining me my friend and um yeah hopefully we will cross paths at some point hopefully blackpool and then i can buy you a martini <laughs> ah cheers my friend that sounds wonderful i appreciate that thanks for having me you're more than welcome so ladies and gentlemen that was scott wells 
so there we have it thank you for joining us on this episode i think you'll agree it was a fantastic episode please go and support scott as well over at the magicwordpodcast.com the magicwordpodcast.com has all his information over there has his shop where you can purchase his awesome products and also all the information is over there regarding the magician's relief project so please go and support scott he's doing great things for the community Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to head over to Facebook to find out who is going to be on next week's episode. I'll be putting that up on Wednesday and subscribe in your favorite place. Thank you so much and I'll see you on the next episode of the Loosely Speaking Podcast.